deep in London's beating heart lies a wall A locked door it be if you know the call For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the griffin's dream Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Shrieking Shack. I'm ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, we have finished the first book. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. We we finished the first out of seven books in seven episodes. And did you know that seven is a special number? Uh, is it? <laughs> uh, well, according to J.K. Rowling, seven is a special number. Uh, there are, are seven horcruxes. There are seven books. Uh, there are seven religions that are allowed at Hogwarts, and Wicca is not one of them. <laughs> It's a good thing that we deliberately planned to do the first book in seven episodes, which we yeah, definitely so, did. Yeah, we. So just so everyone knows, uh, this podcast is not uh, freeform; it is scripted. We have planned it out from the beginning. Uh, we wrote it all on napkins in a restaurant. We planned it all out so the first episode or the first book will be done in seven episodes, and um, one of us will die at the end. No, just kidding. No, hopefully not. <laughs> Yeah, we've uh, we've scripted. We've already recorded the last episode. Um, we have it in a on a cassette tape and a yellow folder. So <laughs> we, have a, we have a yellow folder with the epilogue to the podcast <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. Um, so, but before we get into discussing the seventh book, uh, our favorite channel, the CW, hmm. aired a unfortunately not a harry potter tv show which would be fantastic one day we're gonna have to outline our plans uh for a a harry potter cw show i need it i need that show we need we need hogwarts but like riverdale or vampire diaries or whatever um please uh before they do that they have aired a documentary which we watched and it was way more stupid than i thought it was going to be (laughs) Really? Well, okay, here's the thing. Like, we are, you know, it's 2018. J.K. Rowling is, you know, pretty obsessive about her reputation. Um, and those documentaries we watched before, those older ones, uh, really, and maybe this is just us because we're we're cynical, but, like, <laughs> the, they really made her look like a crank. And I was expecting, like, this time around, like, maybe they would, you know, keep her off to the side and not let her say insane shit all the time. But they, <laughs> she let loose multiple times in this one. And it was wild. Yeah. I, I when we started this documentary, I was and I don't know if it's because we watched a trailer to this documentary, but I swear to God, this is just the same documentary that we had watched that was made 10 years ago, uh-huh. but just made again for the CW. And uh, to be clear, this whole thing, the whole documentary is just a glorified advertisement for a museum exhibit at the yeah. British library. Is that it's like the history of magic, Harry Potter's 20th anniversary. And they, um, got a bunch of extremely cool stuff like oh yeah historical artifacts relating to the history of magic but in the real world and then contextualized it for harry potter yeah and like i had mixed feelings about that because every like i would love to go to this this exhibit because okay for like for people who are listening and who, who don't know me i am obsessed with like like medieval and you know ancient 
uh, books and and like magic and history. I love that. That is that is 100% my jam. I would love going here, seeing it presented like alongside. Here's J.K. Rowling's notes about what Professor Sprout likes to do <laughs> at night. Is like it makes me feel a little weird. Um, I guess if it gets people going and like seeing the stuff and getting interested in, in history and like folklore, that's cool. But it, it, it definitely felt weird seeing them like, Oh my God, when they're unrolling that gorgeous tapestry about like, you know, alchemy and like JK is just like, Oh wow. It's so great. And uh, yeah, I, I have the philosopher's stone in my book and I was like, shut up. Like this is so much cooler than your multi-billion dollar media franchise, I guess. Yeah. Every, um, like extremely cool thing that they showed her. It was all, you know, something that she had had used. Like she, they they brought out um, these old illustrations of of mandrakes because there are mandrakes in Harry Potter and she, and and all of these things that they reveal. We get this moment where she's like, "Oh, this is different than the ones I used in my book." And yeah. <laughs> And like, it's almost, you know, like clearly there's a lot of stuff that she's just like, oh, wow, that's so gorgeous, which is true. But there is also there's this funny reaction she has to so much of it that almost in like she thinks it's quaint. Like the when they show her the illustration of the Sphinx from that like old French book and she's just like, mm, like, ah. <laughs> she like really doesn't like that version of the Sphinx. Uh, she thinks the Mandrake is funny because he has a penis. Uh, there's the... Um, what was the like other oh the divination thing where she's talking about like oh how cliche and it had there's like the illustration of the witch in the hat and it's like this book is like 300 years old where do you think the cliche came from (laughs) yeah she's um she is pretty like reverent of of the old the old uh books and stuff but like it like in the way that she the material itself and she's like scared to touch it which is reasonable but she just has some some very funny comments about yeah. about her books well there, there there is that one part where she's like oh can i touch it and someone off camera's like yeah and then she like does this thing where she like goes ooh, and like shakes the page and i'm just like <laughs> freaking out like don't do that that book is like 700 years old <laughs> i i think the exhibit is g- good like it, it seems very silly um to to see all this stuff relating to harry potter but i, I think i was saying to you like if I was, you know, 12 and really into Harry Potter and my parents had seen like an advertisement for this exhibit in like, I don't know, I was about to say the newspaper. I, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why they'd see this. Um, if I heard the town crier telling me, hear ye, hear ye. Harry Potter exhibit at ye old British library. Um, my parents probably would have taken taken me mm-hmm. to it, and I otherwise would not have known about it or seen any of that stuff. So I think it's reasonable. It's just yeah. also really, really, really goofy. Yeah, it's it, like, yeah, it's it's cool that people are getting to see this stuff. I would love to like if I could like hop on a plane and like I'm it's I'm upset that this wasn't going on while I was recently in England because I would have loved to have gone and seen all this stuff. Um, uh, yeah, like everything and like every uh, tangent the documentary takes, like diving into into these books and like these concepts is really cool for the most part. They um they talk to some people who make wands and they're adorable. Like the, those two old guys who like live out in the woods and, and like talk about how the spirits tell them which pieces of wood will be best for wands. I'm like, Oh, this is really great. 
Um, it gets a little less good when like, okay. So like rewinding a bit to a previous episode, we, we already dunked on JK Rowling for the whole, like Wiccans wouldn't work at Hogwarts thing, (sighs) which is really funny in the context of this documentary, because there is no escaping that like a good half of this stuff is like, has basis in like old Wiccan and pagan uh, ritual stuff. Um, they do not take JK Rowling along with them to show her that stuff. Instead, they like send some other curator and like they're playing goofy music. Like, I, 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 this is just me like being a bitch about JK, but like <laughs> I imagine there's somewhere in her contract where it's like if you're showing the Wiccan stuff, you have to be playing the goofy music underneath it. Oh my God. It's so sad like there are these people who are like showing off these like super cool things and it plays that just like plotting like i I don't know i'm gonna call it it's like oh they're listening to the forest spirits and making wands um and there's this really uh, like i i can't i just can't get over the wicca tweet and there's just this part where she is talking about magic and like and talking about these things that she's like it's like being told about i guess about the history of magic and and she she says uh it's a really long quote but she says magic is simultaneously about empowerment but it's also an acknowledgement that we are in a scary and unknowable world because we know that these ritual practices that go back to what we now would call primitive peoples and yet we still do a version today and that's so weird to hear when we just seen real people that live today yeah yeah doing and believing in those things and to hear her say what we think of as primitive peoples just is so gross it's really gross and like i it's it's like and maybe this is just i don't know because she she, jk rowling is is quite clearly a a christian person and like that's not a a problem that's not a, a a wrong thing to be but she's got to have have just some like deep seated uh mistrust of this stuff right that goes beyond the stuff because you know there's the stuff that she's clearly reverent of which is the uh english history you know the you know alchemy is 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 well not english but european history um you know alchemy is a big part of that uh the um the book that they read about uh, herbology is a big English, you know, piece of English folklore. Um, but when it gets into the, this other stuff, she is clearly much more, you know, uh, mistrustful of it, and it's it's a bummer because it, it's like she has no, it's like she has no capacity for understanding that, like, you know, her thing about how, like, oh, I, you know, uh, I don't believe in magic, but I don't, not sure you should trust anyone who doesn't. Which is a, that's a really fucking weird statement. But it gets at something which is, you know, magic and and uh, alchemy and all this stuff. Like this is the underpinnings of a lot of, uh, you know, metaphorical thought. And like and and there's a great line from one of the curators who says his when he's talking about, uh, you know, pr- protection charms, uh, you know, talismans and stuff. And he's like, oh, this might not, you know, this doesn't scientifically work, but for a long time, this was the best you could get. And it was still comforting to people. And, you know, in that sense, it worked, it provided comfort. And, and that guy's perspective is a lot more, uh, 
helpful, I guess, to this documentary and like the context of these objects being shown, then JK just going like, oh, this is primitive and dumb and stupid. And, and like, we're going to put the the goofy baseline underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she seems to have just kind of a, and I think she has a very common perspective on, I guess, magical thinking. Um, it seems very ignorant to me and very uninformed and kind of ahistorical in a lot of ways, but in a way that I think is is really common. Like, I think if you were to ask a, a lot of uh, kinds of privileged people, they would be like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we used to do alchemy, but we're we're enlightened now, right? Like, yeah, we regardless do, we of do the fact that in 100 now. years, yeah, in 100 <laughs> years, we'll be looking back at now and thinking what a bunch of fucking idiots like, like, yeah, this time marches on. Uh, and like, once upon a time, alchemy was as cutting edge as it got. And like, I, I could go on forever about this particular thing. But like, magic is and 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 and, and, and a lot of folklore like this is therapy before therapy existed this is you know a way to explain the world to people and to comfort you know comfort yourself and yeah it's like i i i can't under i can't understand looking at this stuff and not thinking at least on some level wow this is really fascinating and cool and 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 she clearly hates it and it's really funny yeah i i think that i think that it like comes down to the basis of of, of like what Harry Potter, like the Harry Potter world building, I guess, which really is what I think is a very cool premise. Cause it's like, you know, the, there is like muggles have some of the mythology, right? Like we in the real world, like have mythological dragons and mythological magic, but you know, what if it was real? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so bizarre to me how contemptuous she has been about uh, people who live today that believe those things. It's like, I, I think that you can have that premise and not turn around and say, well, they're wrong or, you know, fortune tellers are just scam artists or, um, you know, I, I, and I can't remember what did she say about, skinwalkers that they are oh that they were made up to discredit uh uh native americans or whatever and that like the real wizards had you know use her magic but like the real native american wizards use her it, it was so fucked up like yeah don't say that shit yeah like i think I, mean, that, I, I think that's a very bad version of this but i think this is all like it runs through everything her weird disdain for wiccanism and like Wiccan and Wicca, I suppose. Um, the the weirdest and worst part of this whole thing, and I guess the one that is really emblematic of this attitude to me, is there's that gorgeous uh, Ethiopian textbook that they have. There yeah, that's uh, that was a a textbook that, that they found that was like you know guides for protection charms and transformation spells that like people in Ethiopia had to keep hidden uh during a period of christian rule really fascinating stuff and the curator is clearly enamored with it you know he's he's giving this really great explanation of what what, you know what the spells are and he's talking about how like hey if i read this one uh i would turn into like this is a spell on that would turn me into a lion 
Uh, and they, you know, they cut it in a weird way. The person off camera is clearly asking him to read it. And he says, I don't have the counter spell. Uh, I'm not going to read this. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm, he's very respectful, you know, mm-hmm. not that I think that if he read this, read the spell, he would literally turn into a lion, but like, he is clearly very reverent and respectful of this very important piece of history. And they're just sort of mocking him for it. And like, it's, you know, it's playing the goofy music again. Like, <laughs> oh, like, look at this idiot who believes he'll turn into a lion if he reads the things like, no, that's not the point. It's just that he, he respects this thing's place in history, you know, and I, that part really upset me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and it's like, I, I think that, you know, we see uh, JK Rowling, like interacting with, the um i guess like european historical artifacts in the way that she feels comfortable with which is not that same reverence for its place in history as if that's like the correct the correct way to be and i'm I'm not saying that it's it's like wrong like i don't think that you have to have that reverence but it's it's like that they expect everyone to kind of interact in that same way yeah yeah that's just not that's just not true like yeah so but all of this documentary uh, was leading up to, and like I, I think you made an excellent point here, was that I, it feels like when they were filming this, or like as they were signing the deal for this or whatever, they told her it would be great if you had some kind of new information for us. <sighs> because the revelation at the end of this documentary is the most insane thing I have seen in any of the material we've gone through so far. Um, do you want to set us up here? Do you want to tell this 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 little story yeah so i am i am going to try to tell this story with the sensitivity it deserves because there is a like an actually pretty genuine story that that jk tells and Mm -hmm. it's that and it's and but just like the way all of these things relate and the way she reveals it is is bizarre um, so she is talk. She they so they bring out this illustration, this original illustration that's going to be in the exhibit, and it's of um, Professor Sprout, and she starts talking about how um, Professor Sprout is the most maternal of the heads of houses, and then she says, "I drew this on a specific night, and the reason that I remember what specific night it was was because." I uh, got the call that night that my mom had died. Um, And then she says that I like she, at the time she was watching a Sean Connery movie, (laughs) the man who would be King. I think it's, I've never seen it. Um, And you know, that's all well and good. I think that's a really sweet story, but then she alleges that she, this, this, the Masonic symbol that is in, the movie is a huge part of the movie and that somehow she subconsciously like took that and turned it into the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> and there is an accompanying graphic of the Eye of Providence slowly morphing into the Deathly Hallows. It is the most like that is the kind of thing I would expect to see in one of the documentaries about like harry potter and satanism or whatever not straight from jk rowling's mouth like yeah the uh the freemason symbol that's what the deathly hallows is like what the fuck and it's (laughs) it's such it's such a leap it's like this you know it's it's this 
really touching thing where she's just talking about this small moment where it's like, yeah, I was drawing this character and watching this movie. I was at a friend's house. You know, she remembers all these details because it's clearly a very important moment for her. You know, and she gets the phone call that, hey, you know, her mom's died. This is really touching. Then she says, and that's where the Deathly Hallows came from. Yeah, but not, but but not on purpose, right? It was not- so, okay. She also says that it's something that she realized later, like after she'd written it. Yeah, which like for all of her weird contempt about like divination and like weird connections between things, and then to say like I have this deep spiritual connection with the with the Sean Connery movie that made me make the Deathly Hallows a triangle. Like what? I, I had to watch this this part like three times because I was so brain blasted by it. I don't yeah. I was like I had to hear the story because I didn't like understand I, even in my telling of the story, I feel like I didn't explain it very well because it makes no sense. Um, I'm still not sure what she's implying, honestly, because is she implying that 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 she came up with it then or that that she remembers this moment and remembered that symbol and then made the Deathly Hallows years later? Because. I if the imp- I don't believe that she had the Deathly Hallows symbol ready to go. I'm you know. feeling as if she has a very strange relationship with creative inspiration. Yeah, that's my theory because uh, yeah, that's, like, that's a good point. Because also, don't forget that this documentary is the second documentary about um, her, you know, magical real world magical inspirations after the other documentary that we saw where she said that she invented all of it. Yeah. All, yeah. I, I, I feel like she's like maybe very defensive about things that is are, are borrowed. And I, I don't even like, it was just this weird moment where I felt like she had to confess that she didn't invent symbols. Yeah. Like, sorry guys, I didn't invent triangles. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We know it's fine. JK. We know it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah, nobody, like, yeah, n- nobody, nobody is going to, like, look at a triangle, you know, symbol in a story, go, like, fucking faker, fucking hack, triangle, like, no, like, that's fine, like, you know, again, with the number seven, it, you know, that's, that's fine, that's a big deal in a lot of, uh, you know, spiritual storytelling, it's fine, <laughs> don't worry. And and her and like the the idea that she like was inspired by this symbol, but not on purpose. It's like yeah, I borrowed from this, but it was it was subconscious. It was not yeah. a like purposeful. It, it's like if it had been, that would be okay. It's cool to have influences. It's okay. Like I would prefer authors talk about their influences honestly than not. You know. Yeah. A story doesn't have to have like popped up out of the ground fully formed to be good. It's it's fine. Speaking of fully formed stories, we have fully read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We sure have. Are we ready for our chapters? I think it's time. I think it's time to get into our chapters. All right, well, I have for us today, chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. Um, Do we want to make my summaries a regular thing? I think that would be great, just for people who, like, you know, aren't familiar with the books anymore and are listening. I I, I like that. Okay, good. Um, I will go through this one uh, 
real quick, we at the very beginning, Harry discovers um, that Hagrid revealed Fluffy's weakness to the stranger in the pub. So he goes mm-hmm. and, and finds that out. He decides that he has to go after the stone that night. Um, he convinces Ron and Hermione that it was important when they're leaving Neville confronts them and they have to put him in a full body bind uh, as they're leaving to go get the stone. Uh, They have a run in with Peeves outside of the corridor and then they go in and we get our gauntlet of challenges. And just to go over those, our first challenge is fluffy. Our second challenge was the devil's snare. The third is the winged keys. The fourth is the chess game. And then the fifth challenge is the potion riddle. Um, And that's the entire chapter. And that's essentially how it's structured. Yeah. Yeah. um, I really like most of this chapter, I would say. Uh, I think we get the biggest payoffs here with Neville um, and Mm -hmm. some really good character interaction stuff while all three of the, the trio are doing the trials. I really like that stuff. Um, there's some definitely some goofiness here because did you did you mention the troll in your oh no i didn't because i it was kind of nothing they they go through i think that it's uh i can't remember where in where in their gauntlet they walk through a room and there's a troll knocked out on the ground and they're like oh someone already dealt with this for us yeah um yeah that like so there there was that which was pretty funny um but uh I guess like starting from the top, the I love Neville's payoff. Um, I I think the line that I I love the most here is you're the ones who tell me uh, who've been telling me to stand up to people. And then Ron says, yeah, but not to us, which is like (laughs) a a really funny joke. But B also like that sucks of Ron to say. And like it's I I. I sympathize with 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 Neville here, even though he is technically in the wrong. He would have no way to know that at this point, and so having him stand up to these characters and say, you know, like you're not going to fuck this, you know, you're not going to fuck the uh, the house cup up for us anymore. Like, like stop it. Um, I, I was great, and it was a moment that I had completely forgotten was a, an actual you know resonant character moment for Neville because I think like most people, the movie had sort of erased Neville as a character for me. Uh, And so like seeing him grow throughout this book has been really cool. Yeah. They um, in the movies, I think they, they don't set this up, right? Like we, we get this moment like that. He does confront them. He's like, don't go out tonight. And, but there's no, I I think that in the book, this is set up really well. Like um, in this Ron calls him an idiot. And it's the third time in the book that Neville's been called an idiot. The first time was by Snape. I think that he was called an idiot uh, by Draco at the Quidditch game. And then this third time after Ron has helped him kind of like overcome that and become more brave, this is the moment that he he picks and is like... Oh, I did not pick up on that, actually. I didn't realize that this was like the third time he had directly been called an idiot by someone. Yep. And it's Ron. Um, So I, I think that the setup to this just worked really well for me. Totally. Yeah, it's... um. It's a bummer that we like this is we're jumping ahead a little bit, but it's a bummer we don't get a reconciliation or anything after this, uh, really. But um, it's still a really good scene, uh, and it's it's a good 
it's also a good moment for Hermione, I guess, too, because Hermione, I think, you know, earlier in this book would definitely have been on Neville's side here. But seeing her kind of step up uh, and and, you know, uh, paralyze him to so they can go and risk their <laughs> lives for the stone, like, you know, sad for Neville, but like uh, also a great moment for her. Just like she is at this point, she is, you know. She is obviously a, a, you know, a bit of a rules lawyer in real life, but like uh, has has a really good sense already as an 11 year old of like just because a law or a rule is in place doesn't mean it's always the most moral thing to do. You know? Yeah, uh, I didn't really consider that as, uh, you know, this felt so much like Neville's moment, but you're right. Hermione did have a great moment here. Um it's it's pretty pretty cold blooded to leave him yes. paralyzed on the ground. They turned him over, I think, right? Because he was like yeah. face down in the full body bind, and they turned him it's over. Little, and she was like, "Sorry, Neville." It's a little morbid, yeah. It just like some sleep paralysis uh, nightmare stuff uh, there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess he's fine. Um, but yeah, it's a great moment. The Peeves thing is cute too. Um, but the I guess the 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 main thing here is the the actual trapdoor trials and like i i have a hard time in books that do that and like i know that this is a tale as old as time like we're going back to like greek myth here uh, as far as like like rigid trials for characters go um and that's fine it's 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 fine i just usually have a hard time with it because to me as a like you know millennial uh all i can think of is video games like it just becomes very video gamey like ah you must you must face the dog you must face the the plants and the the key like it's just very one note but they i think they i think that the the book does a a good job with what it has here in that the the devil snare scene uh has a really great like ron scene uh with him yelling at hermione like are you a witch or not i think that's great and you know the call back to the blue flame that she used and uh uh like that stuff's great chess is a good moment for ron the wing keys I, I okay the wing keys is probably the one i like the least out of these because it's just for like okay and I, i'm rambling a bit here but <laughs> all of this is con- all of this is contrived. I accept that. Like like trials are a little contrived. If you really wanted to protect something, why make it solvable? Whatever. But the wing keys one is the worst because there's like there's broomsticks there ready for them. Like like this is this is an actual game. Like you're gonna have to to fly around and find this key. It's a little bit on the nose. Like like. I guess for like, oh, here's Harry's thing. It's Quidditch. Yeah, this is the. I think this is the most like blatantly, like calls to attention that problem in that it's like, okay, you can make a lock that you need a specific key. Why would you put the key in the room? Just yeah, exactly. The door. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and I think that's fine. I'm I'm so excited to play the PlayStation game. I can't wait to do these, oh, God. these exciting challenges. I've forgotten what they're like in the game, but I'm sure they're I'm sure they're thrilling. I bet um, the mechanics of the flying around on broomsticks is really good. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, really really good stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's like okay, the, the plants like the solution to the plant problem is fire. That's a pretty universal solution. The solution to the chess game is you have to be good at chess. Okay. But like the 
keys feel so written for Harry, you know, I guess is the problem. Like, like it is, it is Quidditch. You are, it is a game for a seeker to play, to find a key, to open the door. It's just out of all of these very on the nose things. It is like the most on the nose. Yeah. I feel like each of them kind of got their own, own solution to a problem and, and kind of weirdly Hermione got two. Yeah, that's true. Because she got the devil's snare, and although she needed Ron, I mean, it was a great Ron moment because he's the one that yells at her and tells her that, you know, she's a witch. But it is the, the, like, payoff moment for the blue fire, but then she also gets the potions riddle. That's right. Which, to be fair, the potions riddle... Do, okay, no, we, I, I, we've got to hold off on the potions riddle because we do have to do the chess thing first, but I, okay. I, I have some shit to say about the potions riddle, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> yeah. The chess game, it's, um, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Um, chess is one of those things that like, again, like trials, um, we're getting kind of, we're doubling up here on our like literary classics of like, okay, we have a heroic trial for the characters to face. And now we also have a, like a game of life and death, but it's chess. And it's like, okay, these are like the two most, like if you, if you're like looking up for like classical literature, um, symbols and like <laughs> metaphors like chess is like probably number one and like that's fine it's a kid's book like they probably don't know that um but it is it's long i guess is my thing is it, it's a long scene it's a long scene and um chess is just like there's no real way to make it exciting chess is really fun to play and that's about it you know like you can't it's hard to write chess as an interesting scene it's definitely hard to film chess as an exciting scene um and most of like if the excitement here comes from the like kind of brutal descriptions of like the <laughs> violence that the pieces inflict on each other which is a little fucked um uh they're like knocking each other out and not like the the description when the queen attacks ron is like she just backhand slaps him off the horse or whatever which is kind of wild um yeah i don't know it's the, the key moment here is ron sacrificing himself for the group which is is a great moment it's it is uh, again i'm saying on the nose a lot here but, but that's because it is the fact that he says that's chess you have to make some sacrifices is really funny like just a reminder that's what chess is about that's what it symbolizes that's chess that's chess for you and that's chess chessinism yeah i <laughs> i did think this is kind of an interesting moment to give ron and i'm i'm like i like it um I I guess like our Ron's other big character moment was from the Mirror of Erised chapter where he feels uh, overshadowed by his brothers, I suppose, and like wants to be the main the main guy, right? And I think that's yeah. gonna that's gonna keep coming up uh, with Ron. And but in this in this moment at the the kind of climax of his story, you know, he says you've got to make some sacrifices. Um, I'll make my move and she'll take me. That leaves you free to checkmate the king, Harry. And um, and that's kind of his, like, you know, he, he wants to be the hero, but at the end of the day, he'll do what he thinks is right. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that, that is a well-constructed moment. That is a, a great character-building thing for him. It's just you also have to read f- a few pages of, like, descriptions of chess moves, which is just a little, ugh, like, yeah, not so fun. I- 
some incorrect descriptions. Is that right? Uh, I guess in the first, yeah, in the first edition, he says, I'll take one step forward, which you can't do because you're a knight. Too bad. Yeah. Unlucky. Um, yeah. I, I'm just curious about this moment from Ron because uh, I think this is like really, like you said, very well constructed. Um, and through the rest of the books, I remember being so frustrated with Ron because I think they're going to walk this back. As, oh, they're like, totally going to walk this back. Yeah. Because this isn't his thing. Like, he's the guy that storms off. It's like he learned this lesson in the first book. Like, we we learn this and are told this about him and then it becomes not true. Yeah, it's um, – this is one of those things that definitely, for me, goes in the in the pile of evidence that the pl- series was not planned out 100% because, <laughs> like – and I guess this is uh, I guess this is part of the problem too with writing a seven book series is that like these are big character payoffs that she's giving eleven year olds you know um, yeah if you know you know that like you know if these are happening in book one out of seven either something's going to have to be walked back or the characters are never going to develop anymore because these are these are like person defining you know sacrificing yourself for the greater good uh, like that's a I don't know. That's a hard one. That's a hard one to like, you know, soften, I guess. Uh, yeah. This like, is an intense moment. Like I, the implication is that he might die, right? Like, yeah, he seems ready to die at 11 years old like, <laughs> to, to save his friends. Like that is some sacrificing. Yeah. That's some serious shit that, uh, that he's ready to do. Um, so yeah. So it's like, it's like, it's a wild thing to give an 11 year old, but also like, you know, that, especially because i've read the rest of the books before i know that like this isn't going to matter soon yeah i think as it can be one of the most frustrating character things where a character learns a lesson or we're told something about a character and then it it's as if it never happened or that isn't something that they went through it's a very so, sitcom-y problem like yeah like, it's like oh it said ron yeah, reset. Like, yeah, like how many times has like Homer Simpson learned to be a better father or whatever, and then the next episode he's back to being a dumbass? Like, <laughs> which like that's fine for a sitcom because like that's kind of how you have to do that kind of thing because it's endless. But like with a with a more serious story, it's like Ron sort of jumped right to for what or a lot of characters would be like their final decision as a character, uh, and then he has to sit around for seven more but bo- or for six more books. Uh, going through that like jealousy again you know yeah and i i guess like in some ways it's like well hormones are you know crazy like he's a teenager and that makes sense to me but that doesn't really work when he does make this character defining like decision at 11 years old it seems like (laughs) yeah it seems like they're a little bit defying their ages i suppose yeah very quickly i think that's the main thing is like this this i I, i've mentioned this before on the podcast but like i often forget that these characters are supposed to be like tiny children (laughs) that that was definitely a thing in in this in like their their reactions to the danger this you know the high stakes decisions they're making they're all they all seem like wizened in a way that like an 11 year old would not be which is fine but the fact that the books also hinge on like teenage angst and stuff makes it a little difficult to piece these things together. Yeah. I guess, I guess we'll probably talk about that a little more next chapter when Dumbledore has his big reveals. Um, But for now, I guess we can talk about Hermione's Hermione's moment. Absolutely. The potions riddle. They took this one out of the movie. Yeah. I can't really say I blame them, I guess, even though it is really funny and like, I kind of wish it was in the movie. It's first of all, 
Snape, this is Snape's. Uh, this, <laughs> this is Snape's trial. And so, like, counting, so Professor Sprout did the devil snare thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it, who, who, who did the, the, the key one? I think Flitwick. Uh, wasn't Madame Hooch. She probably had a bombing one that uh, <laughs> didn't get didn't make the cut. Uh, and then the the troll was Quirrells, and yep. the chess set is McGonagall's. So this is Snape's. So they've all brought some wild shit to the table. Snape's thing is a potion ribble, and it's like this <laughs> Alice in Wonderland ass. Like, uh, do you have it on hand? Do you want to read it? Um, the the like poem yeah it's very long he wrote a very long poem it rhymes Rhymes, i think right um it's a really funny thing to imagine snape as a character doing i feel like yeah it it is i i didn't realize he was an amateur poet is the thing until this moment i've got it here danger lies before you while safety lies behind (laughs) two of us will help you whichever you would find one among us seven will let you move ahead. Another will transport the drinker back instead. Two among our number hold only nettle wine. Three of us are killers waiting hidden in line. Choose unless you wish to stay here forevermore. To help in your choice, we will give you these clues for. <laughs> First, however slyly the potion tries to hide, you will always find some on nettle wine's left side. Second, different are those who stand at either end, but if you would move forward, neither is your friend. Third, as you see clearly, all are different size. Neither dwarf nor giant holds death in their insides. Fourth, the left, second left, and the second on the right are twins once you taste them, though different at first sight. Like, damn, Snape. Thank you, Snape. Thank you, Snape, for writing that beautiful poem that is seems to be to be like the poetry equivalent of the my name's Professor Snape and I'm here to today. <laughs> Don't drink the wrong one or you'll have a horrible day. Like it's <laughs> oh, this I I can't get like there are two like possibilities here, and one is that he worked really, really hard on this. Mm-hmm. And the other is that he like phoned it in that day. Like Dumbledore yeah. said, God, I have you. We, you have to come up with a challenge to help protect the stone. And he like waited until the last minute. And he's like, oh, God, I guess I'll put some shit in, in some <laughs> bottles. And like, wait, do you think this was like the classic group project problem? Like, like Snape just like was not responding to the text messages or anything <laughs> about like. Hey, we're gonna meet together to do the to do the trials for the Philosopher's Stone thing today. Or is that you know is everyone busy? We can hang out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Snape just w- wouldn't respond. He's like, oh, you know, I'll throw something together. But he did. He did like write a poem. Or maybe he's like the classic procrastinator where, like, he didn't like make the challenge, but he spent. He did all of his time management. He spent it all on the poem. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long poem. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never would have figured Snape for a poet, and I guess I still don't after reading that, but uh it yeah, it's funny. I I I have no idea if it's intentionally silly or not is the thing. Like is this supposed to be like some funny character development for Snape or is this or was this actually meant to be supposed to be like mysterious and badass and cool? I, I can't uh, tell. Are you are you saying it's not mysterious, badass and cool? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me? Because there, there is fire on either end of the of the room, and it's like cool fire. It's like there's a black fire. 
it just makes me think of like waiting in line to get on a plane or something like (laughs) like you gotta go through security you gotta take your shoes off and figure out the poem like yeah And, and this is like kind of a weird Hermione moment I think because she says this isn't magic it's logic a puzzle a lot of the greatest wizards haven't got an ounce of logic they'd be stuck in here forever really in this, mo- in this moment, Hermione is euphoric. <laughs> I just, is that, like, is this supposed to be a realistic puzzle to stop Voldemort? I, I have to also say that most of the other puzzles showed, like, demonstrated, or at least some of them demonstrated that um, Quirrell had gone past them. I guess the chess didn't, but, I mean, he could have won a game of chess. Like, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I, I want to see, like, the deleted scene of uh, of Voldemort and Quirrell working together to figure out this stupid riddle. <laughs> it seems very easy. Read it again! <laughs> I know it's a kid's book, and I guess, like, I don't, I don't know, like, logic puzzles are cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's the combination of it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing to think about this being meant to stop, you know, Voldemort or whatever, and also the fact that Hermione is just like, oh, I get it, like immediately, like, like you, like the characters don't have to piece it together, you don't have to piece it together, like if you're worried about having to solve a puzzle to understand this book, don't worry, Hermione is here to just like completely undercut this and go like, oh, I get it, it's this one, like, yeah. I, I think this this pro- this moment for her kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, this just sort of feels like I don't know. Like this doesn't seem like it would take a fucking genius to figure out is the main thing. Like, like this isn't her studying or like having some esoteric knowledge or like you know good practice to pull off. It's just her like being able to piece together a silly puzzle. Yeah, and I I don't know I. I don't feel like that really says a whole lot about her character. Mm-mm. Like she's good at puzzles, I guess. Um, I, I understand that it's supposed to be like, she's, she's the logical one. Right. Yeah. But I feel um, like the, I feel like the, the devil snare thing is a much better, even though it, that I guess was more of a thing for Ron. It, it worked for me as a, as a moment for her too, because like it establishes a more interesting facet of her character, which is like, you know, she's prone to panic uh, and like, you know, mental overload to herself, you know, in a dangerous situation, but can also, you know, has the tools, which is, a, is that's a more nuanced thing to say about a character than like, they smart, they dumb, but like <laughs> still worked for me, you know, in, in, a, in a more interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. Not much happens here, really. Like, no, oh, I do want to rewind and talk about the peeve scene a little bit because I had com- completely forgotten it. Um, I think it's interesting that Harry like solved that issue by pretending to be the bloody Baron. Yeah, I liked that. I it was funny seeing Peeves actually acting as an obstacle and not just comic relief. Uh, and it was a fun callback to, and also it's a good lampshade for the whole like invisibility cloak thing, I think, because the fact that Peeves can still recognize that someone is there is, is like, I think that's a, a good problem that for the, for the characters to have, because uh, like the invisibility cloak so often is used as sort of like a way to, hand wave a lot of storytelling away about like how these characters are navigating a huge spooky castle at night you know um like has ghosts in it who like fly around and like can see the students and whatnot so like having a counter to that appear at least for a moment i thought was cute yeah peeps is going to be the um the video game patrol (laughs) 
it's gonna be like it's a vision tone. yeah <laughs> um i yeah i guess i liked i liked this chapter fine um i feel like i was a little bit bored by the challenges i guess is what i would say overall they're just very like this will rear its head even more in the next chapter this so much especially combined with the the forbidden forest and the norbert stuff just feels like a book rushing to a conclusion i think that's my biggest problem here yeah i remembered a lot of this stuff and as i was reading it like i have a physical book and i just kept looking at how many pages were left and thinking how much more there was to do yeah i was like oh that's that's a lot. Um, yeah, it, it just like it, it feels like a bush, ru- a bush, a book rushing to a conclusion. And like the fact that like it builds like literal trials for the characters to overcome uh, right at the end just feels like part and parcel with that as a problem. Like like this is the way to get maximum character development out in, you know, a chapter uh i don't know like it's not bad it's just definitely not i'm not in love with this stuff yeah uh shall we go on to chapter 17 yeah let's let's go on to the big reveal okay so this is chapter 17 it is called the man with two faces um and it leads right into like the last chapter he walks through the door to to confront you know whoever it is and this this goes like you know just from there uh and he sees that it's Quirrell and not Snape. Um, and then there's this kind of long sequence where Quirrell goes back and explains everything to us, right? Like it goes back and it's like, I, I Quirrell, me Quirrell was the one who fucked up your broom during Quidditch. <laughs> so, he, so, <laughs> so he explains everything. And then it goes into the mirror of Erised puzzle where Harry realizes that if he sees himself getting the stone which is what he wants then he'll see where it is the stone appears in his pocket and Voldemort you hear Voldemort's voice and he says like the boy lies about where the stone is Quirrell takes off his turban he's got Voldemort on his head um they attack Harry and Harry realizes that when he touches Quirrell it burns him and I, th- I think the implication is that Harry kills him, right? By touching him a bunch. Yeah. Um, Harry passes out. He wakes up in the hospital wing. Dumbledore is there in the hospital wing with him and explains the plot to us again. <laughs> uh, um, and then we have a scene with Hagrid where Hagrid is, you know, so worried about Harry and gives him a photo album of his parents. Uh, then we have the closing feast where Dumbledore explains the character arcs to us and uh, <laughs> and gives out enough house points to Gryffindor that they win the house cup and then there's another scene uh, as Harry is getting off the train and seeing the Dursleys and that is the end of the book a lot happens there's a lot that happens in this last chapter um, yeah yeah so so Quirrell gets his his Bond villain speech which yes. I actually kind of liked. Um, yeah. Maybe it doesn't make the most sense, but it is still a cool flip for him to not actually be nervous and 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 scared. And now he's like this very cool, calm and collected bad guy. Like, that's cute. Um, his like sarcastic stuttering where he's like, uh, who would suspect Paporis to stuttering Professor Quirrell? Like, that's a great moment. I, I do really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the I tried to kill you. Like, he, you know, he gets his Darth Vader moment here. It's good. 
Um, but then when he starts to explain what's happening is where it slowly starts to unravel for me, which <laughs> no matter, okay. No matter how cool the reveal is initially, nothing can make certainly i have a special gift with trolls you must have seen that i did the whole one in the chamber back there nothing can make that seem threatening or cool that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life i completely forgotten about that like for one just like calling attention to the fact that like the, the trials chapter felt a little rushed because they got to skip one but then also him just saying like "Ooh, i have a special gift with trolls least badass thing i have ever heard a villain say ever what does that mean? Because we saw the troll and I think it's described as it having like a bump on its head and is knocked out. Is that his <laughs> gift? He can just he can he can give him a bop on their head until yeah, they- he's he, <laughs> he can roll up that newspaper and just slap him real good. I like I understand that was like uh, the moment where it's like uh, like he let the troll out of the out of the trial area during Halloween. Um I think it would have been fine if he just had hit tr- if the troll was his challenge. I don't know what it means that he had a special gift with trolls. Yeah, well, maybe he can talk to them. I don't know. Or maybe he makes their pants. <laughs> yeah, they'll do whatever he wants. Um, there also the follow up to that, which is maybe my favorite dumb line here. Now wait quietly, Potter. I need to examine this interesting mirror. Like, <laughs> like. I will tell you exactly what is happening here. The mirror is very interesting. <laughs> like, okay. And then, yeah, the solution to the Sorcerer's Stone thing sucks. Like, I, the more I think about this, the less sense it makes. And I guess the, like, the implication is, like, Dumbledore did a weird charm on it, right? Like, that's... I, yeah, this is, this is, like, Dumbledore's puzzle, right? Yes. And he uses the mirror to function differently than it ordinarily does. I... I think that I actually remember being a little bit confused by this as a kid. And like as a kid, I just was like, oh, I'm a dumb kid. Maybe I just don't understand it. Um, but it really is just kind of dumb. I I still have a little bit of trouble figuring out what exactly. So he what he wants more than anything is to find the stone before Quirrell does. So if I look in the mirror, I should see myself finding it which means I'll see where it's hidden. But how can I look without Quirrell realizing what I'm up to? Like that explanation actually kind of makes sense and that that would show him where it was. Like if he channeled his desire, I guess, into a very specific thing. But that's not what happens. He looks in the mirror with this desire and then like it just appears in his pocket. The stone does. And like that, I'm stunned that like if that's the way that this thing can be made to work like was his first reaction to Dumbledore why was it not like cool so can you do that with my parents like like what the fuck like this completely ruins what the mirror of Erised is for to me yeah it seems really weird that they established rules for the mirror of Erised like very very clear ones and then just changed them at the last minute to be this puzzle yeah. And I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Did Dumbledore cast a spell on the stone to make it do that? Or is it the mirror doing it? Or both. I mean, like, the magic where, where is so nebulous. And, like, like by definition, Harry Potter's magic is, like, very nebulous and, like, serves the story uh, first. But, like, this is just so random, I guess. Like, if that 
if you can do that, if you can make the stone vanish and only appear to Harry Potter when he looks in the mirror and like thinks a specific thing, what was the point of all the trials? Like, just keep the damn mirror in your office or something. I don't know. Like if that's how the, if that's how you can make it work, I don't understand why this is the thing that has to be made. You know, I'll read Dumbledore's explanation. Yeah, because Harry asks, he said, how did I get the stone out of the mirror? Good question. Ah, now I'm glad you asked me that. It was one of my more brilliant ideas. And between you and me, that's saying something. You see, only one who wanted to find the stone find it but not use it would be able to get it otherwise they'd just see themselves making gold or drinking elixir of life my brain surprises even me sometimes what does that mean (laughs) find but not use like okay if you can if you can make something that like a charm that complex or whatever like why not just go one step further and say like, uh, this is poofed out of existence. Like, can you not just exile this with until, until you want it? I, I don't know. It's all this feeds into the greater problem with this like series, which is that Dumbledore, like puppet mastered Harry's entire life. And so all of this was just a thing for Harry, but we don't know that technically. Well, we do though. Because it's pretty explicit that he does. Harry even says that. I think that is the most shocking thing in this book that oh, I was you're, not no, expecting. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. I mean, Dumbledore doesn't say it, right? Like, <laughs> like this is Harry telling us that. And when I read this, it reads to me as if that explanation from Dumbledore was insane. And and reading these things, it's like there's there's no way this is believable, right? Because if Dumbledore is that powerful and does that like crazy spell that doesn't make any sense, why, why would he not just hide the stone and, and put it in exile or phase it out of the universe or whatever? And so we get this explanation um, from Harry and he says, he's a funny man, Dumbledore. I think he sort of wanted to give me a chance. I think he knows more or less everything that goes on here. You know, I reckon he had a pretty good idea. We were going to try And instead of stopping us, he just taught us enough to help. I don't think it was an accident he let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like he thought I had the right to face Voldemort if I could. Which, for one, really heady analysis from an (laughs) 11-year-old. Yeah, he's explaining this to Hermione, I think, who is the one that says, like, Dumbledore wouldn't wouldn't let us do this if he knew. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... So, yeah, it's it's convenient and weird, I guess, is like my my problem with the stone thing. And like I that explanation of like while while Harry is correct, like Voldemort or Voldemort, Dumbledore, excuse me, is, you know, basically puppeteering his whole life at this point. His reaction to that being like, what a funny old man and not what the fuck is going on, like is a really weird way to have that resolve, I guess. Yeah, especially after he just basically killed someone. Yeah, Harry killed someone. Harry killed a grown ass man, uh, <laughs> which he does. He, I guess, he's cool with. Like, I mean, you know, Quirrell sucked. Like, I'm not saying Quirrell should have lived or anything, but like, that's a big deal. You killed someone. <laughs> like, you- yeah, and all because Dumbledore thought he could use a chance, just to use a chance to. Have a little showdown with Voldemort. Uh, what if uh, 
you know, I think the best thing for Harry Potter right now is, well, did you, I don't know if you know this, but because of the power of love, uh, if he touches Professor Quirrell, that dude's just going to fucking melt. And, you know, I, I want to see that. Don't you? Like, what, like, what was his thought process here? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like there's I can't believe this moment has come so early, which is that these books are aren't going to make sense if Dumbledore isn't masterminding everything. Yeah. I didn't realize that was going to be now that this was happening. I am remembering that quote from the Harry Potter wiki where it talks about how Dumbledore assumed a long chain of events that lead up to Harry kissing the snitch and finding the resurrection stone. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Yeah. And I guess, like, now I'm totally seeing why people had the theory for a long time that Dumbledore was time traveling, you know, because that's really the only way that he could be so prescient, you know, and like. He's just such a good wizard. He's just such a good wizard that, like, he knows when a good time to send a child into mortal danger is. <laughs> um, so he was away, like, part of this. And the reason that Harry was convinced that he had to go after the stone is because Dumbledore received... Because, okay, first of all, they were actually very smart here because the, the, the kids go to McGonagall first. Yeah, they, they like, try to get the adults involved. Yeah, and McGonagall, it, like, comes off as, like, the most reasonable person. Um, I, I She has a very funny line, I think, where she's like, and you think you're going to, like, be better than enchantments? Which... Yeah. It's pretty funny. I, I liked that part. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they were like, no, for real, it, you know, this is a big, big deal. And she's like, oh, well, Dumbledore's away. Um, he got an owl to go to the ministry. So Dumbledore knows everything, right? Like, that's what we're supposed to, to believe. Did he believe the owl? Because yeah, he said that he was... That's a good point. Like, like he 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 is prescient enough to have like constructed this whole series of trials for Harry and his friends, so they can, can so Harry can confront Voldemort, and Professor Quirrell can be dealt with, and Stone can be dealt with. Uh, but also, he is going to answer this very suspicious. Like, if he got like a phone call about like winning a cruise at this point, what do you <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. It's it's that like that feels like such a tenuous excuse to get Dumbledore out of the picture for this part of the book, which like uh, yeah doesn't line up at all with like what the book is also saying about Dumbledore, which is that he is omniscient and like constructed all this and knows exactly what's going to happen, etc. Yeah, it's it also just doesn't change anything if he's there or not because no. he showed up and took Harry out of the out of the the room anyway and brought him to the hospital if, I, I, it's just, it's weird if what he wanted was for harry to confront voldemort couldn't he have just like woken him up one night and been like hey harry i've got something to show you we're gonna go we're gonna go downstairs check out what professor quarrel's doing oh shit it's voldemort like like that would have been the same outcome right like yeah well we're not gonna get that until book six when uh dumbledore gets him out of bed to go watch him drink a poison potion <laughs> that's, yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, it, that that stuff's. Hmm. Uh, I will say, I do really, really like Hagrid's scene here. Although I would like it a lot more. You know, we were complaining about Hagrid last episode about how his arc doesn't make any sense, how he's irresponsible, how uh, 
the book just completely ignores the fact that the detention is all his fault. And like this scene where he comes in and he's, you know, he's crying and he like shows Harry that he's like contact dolls, parents, friends to get the scrapbook for him. That's all super great and touching. It would have worked so much better if that was him apologizing. Like, sorry, Harry, that I led you on this crazy detention after getting you in trouble and also giving away the secret about the dog so that Voldemort could go after the stone. Yeah. Like so much is Hagrid's fault. Uh, and like this moment is touching. It is a, it's a really nice gesture from him. But it, as it is in the book, it's just sort of like out of the goodness of his heart, holy and not like, I mean, like he's, he's, he nearly got Voldemort resurrected. Like, like he, he really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hagrid just doesn't get a payoff here at all. No. I, like I, I, I don't, I don't think I, like I guess now I can I can say in the totality of the book I did not I didn't like what how they how Hagrid's character was treated like no. I I just it it just kind of fell flat for me and he didn't get a payoff and uh, he had those like insane chapters <laughs> uh, um, he was just really all over the place yeah yeah not yeah not into not into Hagrid as much as I as I was expecting I like I do like this scene on its face i think it's very nice i think his gift yes. to harry is, is very nice it's just like it also just dredges back all up all this stuff that was like bugging me about the previous chapters yeah we have a bit of a, a norbert hangover yeah yeah I'm, um <laughs> i like so that. <laughs> uh the train scene the end of this book is extremely funny yeah okay so uh there are a lot of moments in this series that uh that have like been overridden by the movie for me. Mm-hmm. This is maybe the biggest one. The, <laughs> I've only seen the movie like once or twice. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's because it's the one that everyone always quotes. Cause it's, you know, it's corny, but it is a good line. The, the whole, I'm not going home. Not really. Like that's a good line. It's cheesy mm-hmm. looking wistfully at Hogwarts. Like you, you, like it's very picturesque. It is a good line. Um, and it's definitely a better line than the actual last line in the book, which is, uh, let me find the exact thing here. Yeah, he's meeting up with um, Vernon, but he says to his friends as he's walking away, because they're like worried about him because they know that he doesn't like being at home. And he says, they don't know we're not allowed to use magic at home. I'm going to have a lot of fun with Dudley this summer. And that's the end. <laughs> what? Like, you can't, like, that's not, you can't end the book, the book with that, with, like, you know, I'm gonna fuck Dudley up this summer. Like, like, holy shit. Like, like, how, how ominous? I don't know. It's weird. Harry's gonna torture the Dursleys over the summer. torture the Dursleys. And, like, to be clear, the Dursleys (laughs) do suck. But that is a weird fucking thing to say. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, like... That's like the ominous thing like a character says before being revealed as the murderer in like a bad police procedural, you know? Like <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of fun with Dudley this summer. Ooh, yeah, it's yeah, ah, it's so creepy. Like what's he gonna do? Like what are the spells he's learned? Like he's like he's got Wingardium Leviosa, he's got uh Alohomora. So like he's I guess he maybe Hermione taught him the blue fire thing. Like, is he just gonna like set Dudley on fire or and like make him I mean, fire? I think- I, th- I think to Harry's credit, he's not actually going to cast spells. It's just that they don't know that that he can't oh, use magic. That's true. So I guess he can like kind of threaten them. He's going to 
going to threaten to Crucio them. Crucio. He doesn't know Crucio yet. No. That's it's still what a bizarre last line. Like I was I was so ready for the because like the, the whole like, you know, I'm not going home. Not really line like I, like that sums up the book pretty well, actually. Like, you know, Hogwarts is his new home you know, as 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 much of a like Hollywood ass like final line as it is. I was like I had somehow like assumed that that was also how the book ends with this sort of picturesque like acceptance that like his magical life is his real life you know not now i have the tools to threaten the dursleys to bend them now to i my, will torment uh, them like i can bend them to my will it's very, <laughs> very weird i don't know this book was uh it was good i you know sure it's a good book it's got some got some problems but uh but like overall i guess um these last two chapters I think they do the best they can. It really feels like it just rushes to a conclusion here. Yeah, this my enjoyment of these last two chapters seemed the most affected by this being a kid's book, I guess. Um, totally. And I like kids books. Uh, mm-hmm. But this this is the most like I just I just can't be that invested, I suppose. Yeah. It, it just suddenly turning into some very literal like character trials and having not one not two but three moments of the characters explaining the plot and character arcs like we didn't even we didn't even talk about the house points thing because oh we have to we have to talk about this because this is the the most contentious like fandom thing from this book i think like this is the the post that has been made one million times and it's about how unfair dumbledore is at the end of this book which hmm it's it's cute that they win. I like that Neville is the one who pushes it over for them. Um uh with te- with you know the 10 points for standing up to his friends. But like it is just it is a marathon of the of like the book being explained to you at the end here. Yeah, um I think that people like to focus on the fact that this would be really unfair like if you were in Draco Malfoy's shoes, right? Like you go to the feast, it's all decorated in the, you know, Slytherin house colors and you think you've won the cup and you're celebrating and then the headmaster stands up and like just throws you right in the trash <laughs> which yeah <laughs> uh, won't someone please think of the poor slytherins i guess is my, my only reaction to that <laughs> like yeah i think this is like a retrospect thing because i i think that uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna say that the conflicts become like very nuanced but they do become more nuanced than they are in this book Mm -hmm. um so if you have a more nuanced understanding of draco malfoy and you've gone through the you know scene with him crying in the bathroom because he has to kill dumbledore and all of these things and he's been very humanized it's easy to look back on this first book and be like wow that was so unfair but in the context of this book like he's still such a like cartoon bully that i just don't i just can't care all malfoy has done in this is talk about race science uh (laughs) demand harry be his friend steal neville's remembrall and i that's it right like he's just kind of he calls he calls ron poor a lot oh yeah him for being poor he he does nothing uh, in the forest he does nothing and he doesn't speak in the forest um 
So, so yeah, I, I just I think that the the way this is set up as having the Slytherins be these like racist cartoon bullies, I I just can't I just can't feel like a very nuanced yeah I can't feeling about the unfairness from, this. Yeah. yeah yeah I'm not losing any sleep over like Dumbledore pulling a fast one on them like and it, yeah and I think the angle that people take is like wouldn't this be fucked up if, if this like really happened it's like yeah yeah probably I don't know um and the fact that the scene is literally just a vehicle for Dumbledore to explain the character arcs to us like very <sighs> very explicitly yeah. because he goes through and he, he doles out the points to you know Harry Ron Hermione and Neville and he he explains their virtues to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a way to, to end the book, I guess. Um, Maybe this is a kid's book thing. Like I, I think that stuff may be harder to identify as a kid, but the scene just had no, yeah, like, I don't know, because like a part of me is like, OK, it's a kid's book, maybe outlining this stuff, especially if this is like maybe the first big novel that kids are reading might be helpful. On the other hand, kids are not as dumb as we like to think they are. Uh, and I feel like like the very Greek myth ass trials that like require a character, each character to like excel in their obvious field might have been enough, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like most of them had, we already had explicit dialogue lines, right? Like we had the one where Ron says that he is sacrificing himself and Hermione has her um, line about, you know, books and logic, but nerve is what really matters. And like, we've already had this and then Dumbledore just kind of reiterates it to us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's goofy. It's just like so much is happening. Like I'm, I honestly, I, I get a little, a little exhausted thinking about like materially everything that happens. Like, and I would have traded, I would trade this scene for like a scene where they made up with Neville, you know, like I, I want to see, mm-hmm. I want to see what that scene would have been like. Uh, because I mean, you know, he, you know, I guess it's nice that he gets the points and wins them the house cup, but like, is there any animosity between them? Like, did they have to explain to him? Like, was he cool with everything when he realized what they were doing? Like, what's the, what's the shakeout for their friendship here? Cause like Neville's been such a big part of this book, a surprisingly big part of the book. I did not remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm bummed that he didn't, that we didn't get some kind of like reconciliation or something. Yeah. I guess I don't know for sure, but I feel like Neville's probably going to take a backseat even more so in the next few books before he becomes a big deal in what the seventh book six and seventh i think or maybe just the seventh i yeah um yeah so those are those chapters yeah we did it we did it we've we've read all of harry potter and the philosopher's stone but i think we it is time for us to do a retrospective on the whole series or not the whole series we will eventually do a retrospective <laughs> on the whole series. right now we've got one book uh so i think it's time for us to take a little break and then instead of a game we will be going through some prompts sounds good Hello and welcome back. Uh, I think we're looking at doing a book club now that we have finished our 
uh, reading of the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, I switch between saying Sorcerer's and Philosopher's Stone back and forth. That's a mark of a mark of a true connoisseur. That's true. That's true. Um, so for this, um, I think we've we've just some kind of selected some like basic questions. Um, so that we can just kind of talk about the book as a whole. Um, but I also discovered that Pottermore has a, has a book club and they have mm-hmm. like book club prompts. So I picked some of those as well um, after we go through kind of our more uh, generic discussions. So we can, we can decide what Pottermore thinks is, is worth asking about this book. <laughs> Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. All right. Uh, so let's start and just talk about what we liked the best about this book. Okay. Um, I think like after everything we've read, I still think that the strongest and most, uh, joyful reading I had of this book was the first two chapters with the Dursleys. Um, oh yeah. I, it sets up such a good, um, I don't know, like, like for, for as much world building goes into the, the magical stuff, it has such a perfect sense of like time and place for like these, new rich conservative british people and it's i i love like there's i mean they're super cartoony um their reactions to uh the you know the the robed people that, that you know when when vernon sees the people in robes walking around celebrating mm-hmm. all that stuff is just such a that paints such a good picture to me of like what england is like in harry potter and it's a very real uh I think, you know, or, or at least it, it, it references a very real, um, uh, like, you know, class and, and attitude in, in, in society. And I, I really like that stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, I, I love that stuff too. And I think it really, uh, set the stage for the, like the best stuff about the wizard muggle tension. Like, I think that stuff gets worse, right? Like I, I don't like when that's further developed, but setting the stage for this, this book and in the context of this story, uh, the imagery is just so good. It's, and it's, it's, it's weirdly, it's when the book is at its most whimsical. I think like, I still think about that hilarious, um, uh, the news report about bird watching and like how bird watchers have been reporting that there are a lot of owls, <laughs> uh-huh. which is just like such weird, like that's like something from like an old Tim Burton movie or something. It's very weird and like, like mundane, but in a like slightly off way, I, I, like all that kind of thing. I, I just love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think the scene that sticks out to me from, from those chapters is still the, um, their, their crazy car ride to the, oh, the shack. Yeah. Daddy's gone mad and he like buys a rifle and they stay in a motel. <laughs> All that stuff is so good. Yeah. that That's a, I, I, yeah, I think that that might be my, like, if I had to pick like favorite chapters, it would be a toss up between that. And I guess the mirror of Erised chapter. Yeah. Is that, is that what you is it the mirror mirror said is what what you're yep that I think so I think that is to me that chapter is the best of um using the magic to tell this story um mm. I think that everything else doesn't work as well for me like I 
I, I mean, the way that she has set up magic to be very nebulous and the rules just aren't very clear and it's very whimsical um, in maybe the context of like the trials just kind of falls flat to me and doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. I, I think probably the worst offender being the final trial with the mirror. Um, and, but I think the mirror of Erised is the best case where the way that the magic is set up works perfectly to tell this extremely authentic story. Um, and it seems like the most, it seems like the story that she wanted to tell that just, it works, it works really well. I, I love that yeah. chapter. I, I agree. I, 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 I would probably rank that as like my second favorite just because like you said, it's, it's such a good use of the, um, the world she set up and like the rule the you know, the or lack of rules that she set up. Um, and it, because it gets the best out of it's not just Harry. It gets the best out of three characters. We get like the best Harry scenes. We get the best Ron scenes. We get the best Dumbledore scene here, um, all centered around the mirror. Um, and it's, it's, you know, in the same way that the trials at the end are, it's still a very, um, classical, like, like there is an object in this room that is just going to pull out some character development from these characters, right? Like they're all going to react to it and we're going to, we're going to learn something about him. Like it's very simple, but it, um, it works so much better for me, I guess, than the, than the trapdoor stuff does. Um, but just because it feels, I don't know, more, more earnest. It comes from a very real place, especially after watching the documentary, um, where she was talking about how, you know, the, the death is what she thinks is like the, you know, death and accepting loss and et cetera is like the central theme of the books. And I like, I don't think that always comes off in these books, but like, mm-hmm. here it really does. Yeah, and I, and I just I I think that uh, that comes through really well, and that it's it's an example of the world building serving the story mm-hmm. in a really kind of it it just is it's very tight, and it's I, I I just really liked that that chapter, which is it's funny to me because I I like hated that chapter as a kid. So. Yeah, well, I think just like as a kid, maybe it just feels boring. Like like they're not doing anything. There's no. There's no action. It's not Quidditch, but like, <laughs> yeah, you you just want to hear what um what you know the deal with Nicholas Flamel is as a kid. You're invested yeah. in the mystery, and I think I was less invested in the mystery in this this read through. Um, uh, but but having that perspective on this chapter was was really cool. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I, I um. Uh, yeah, if if I if if the Dursley stuff didn't resonate with me so much, I I would probably rank mm. the Eraset stuff as my favorite as well. But uh, but I, I think they're both really strong. I think this this book like starts very strong and it has a very strong middle, and then it's really only the last four chapters where things sort of kind of unravel for me. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I guess that will lead us right into our next one, which is I want to ask you what the worst thing about the book was for you. And if I, I, are we both going to say the Norbert chapter? Uh, yeah, it's the Norbert chapter. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. I know we, we talked about this extensively yeah. last, last week. Um, it's bad enough that I'm surprised it doesn't come up like within the fandom more often, you know? Yeah, we found like, that one like Reddit thread, right? Yeah, there's like one Reddit thread about it. And like maybe we're just not looking in the right places. This is an old book at this point. So maybe there are like older discussions about this that we're just not seeing today. But 
Yeah, it's 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 bad on the level of like I don't know, like the the way people talk about Star Wars Episode One, and like everyone has their like <laughs> pet pet grievances with that, even if they are Star Wars fans. Like to me, the Norbert chapter is like a very clear example of like you know, I like this book, I like Harry Potter. This is bad. Like this, <laughs> there are no excuses for just the bizarre uh, storytelling decisions this chapter makes. Yeah, I, I think that like the pet. Um, grievance that fans have with this book is typically, like I said before, the house points at the end of the book. So I'm really surprised. Like, I guess this is my pet grievance. I, I, this part, this part was horrible. It's, 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 it's doubly frustrating because it's a chapter that should work. All the pieces are there. Like, like Norbert the dragon is a fun problem and it would have been a fun thing to have there are so many fun ways it could have been solved and like it's a baby the, dragon it's the baby dragon chapter how do you screw up a baby dragon and like but yeah just like it, it involves the worst ass pull in the form of the the charlie letter uh characters being dumb for the sake of the plot with ron forgetting the letter in the book and harry leaving the cloak on the top of the tower for no reason it just like there are, you know, there are so many good stories that make these little errors for the sake of convenience. And like, that's fine. All stories do that. It's just that this is a chapter that is just like little thing after little thing after little thing adding up to the point where the entire thing unravels to me. Yeah. And it sure came after a like really strong part in the book, I think. that's And maybe that's the other thing too. Maybe the Norbert stuff wouldn't have felt so weird if it wasn't coming right on the heels of like, the most emotionally resonant chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if part of this is a consequence of us reading it two chapters at a time, I guess, mm. like over a longer period of time. I'm not saying that the Norbert chapter would be good, but it really like the fact that we landed on reading the Norbert chapter and then the Forbidden Forest chapter yeah. just really made that stuff stick out to me. Definitely. Do you have like a second worst thing? Because I know we talked about this like a lot. Um, yeah. That like I'd say that's kind of our universal number one. Um, let me think. Just like a least favorite thing. Other than that, uh, I think it will probably be the the way the mirror of Erised returns to conveniently drop the stone in his pocket. I think it does a disservice to the mirror as a storytelling object, and it like undercuts what's so powerful about the mirror of Erised chapter. If like if the mirror of Erised can be charmed to manifest things in real life, there are some implications there that ruin that chapter. The entire point of the mirror was that it can show you what you desire, but it can't give it to you. And making it able to give it to you in any <laughs> fashion. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. nice, first of all. But like <laughs> ma- making the mirror able to to actually give you what you want when you look into it regardless of how tricky or like riddly the answer is just ruins it i guess for me yeah i i guess that makes me think of uh reading it as a kid and and being pretty like entranced by the solution to a lot of the problems like i just remember thinking that the quarrel reveal was just the coolest shit i'd ever read like i was like mm-hmm. oh my god i can't believe this and to, um, be, co- to be fair i will <laughs> say i do think that overall uh, the quarrel mystery and reveal is good. Yeah. Uh, 
I like the way it is sprinkled throughout the book and comes to a head. I do like that stuff. It's just the mirror here that that really bothers me. Yeah, I, and I think I think that that's that's the thing. It's like I thought the coral thing was so cool, and then also remember as a kid being confused by the mirror because mm-hmm. everything else had kind of been set up as like you know a traditional mystery, but there's no. It's not like this is a big mirror payoff. This is literally the mirror doing explicitly what it doesn't do. Right. It's horrible. Yeah, it's like it's like getting to the end of a story and something's on fire and like Chekhov wrote a gun in earlier, but instead of being a gun and now it's a fire hose. Like it's just like <laughs> it's like, it's oh, like the, the gun also shoots water. Yeah, it just like doesn't yeah, it like it like the thing that you the thing that this was built to build suspense around. Uh, now it doesn't do that. It's just really weird. Yeah. The, the more I think about the, this last chapter, the like less favorably I think about it, I guess, which is too yeah. bad. The, the coral reveal is great. Yeah. How about you? What, what's your non Norbert? Uh, hmm. Uh, let's see. I does think it rhyme with Fidditch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it does rhyme with Fidditch. Um, <laughs> it's also like now that I think about it, um, the Quidditch thing is such a weird payoff in that it was winged keys. Yeah. Um, although even um, uh, and this is like, again, like a movie thing, because the movie made the way the keys scene into much more of a hairy scene than it is in the books. Like mm-hmm. uh, in the books, they they all get on their brooms and like, I don't know like corral the the key um whereas like in the movie like the keys are trying to kill him and then it's like this like action this hairy action sequence i i suppose that in the book it's like oh harry's very good at brooms um but in the movie i just i have a vivid memory of in the movie when they all get through the door and close it all the keys like smash into the door (laughs) and it makes this like sound like like it would have impaled them or something it's very uh intense yeah it is and i think that's probably because they read that and was like oh i guess this could be like harry's harry's big moment uh because he's good at flying but in the book it just doesn't really come through very much the, the quidditch stuff seems like way bigger moments for harry um also i'm gonna say that it's really funny that they lose the last quidditch game of the season while harry's in the hospital <laughs> yeah throwaway line where they're like oh we lost to ravenclaw so now we're in last place yeah it's like oh i, I guess those those other quidditch games didn't didn't matter at all no no yeah that that's a weird way to undercut those chapters yeah so so i hate quidditch quidditch is bad and we're gonna have to read so much more of it yeah Luckily, uh, see, the thing is, is like everyone hates Umbridge, right? Like that's a big thing in the Harry Potter fandom. It's like Umbridge is even worse than Voldemort. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to give Umbridge points for uh, making Harry not able to play Quidditch. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank God. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, that's probably that's probably my second worst is the Quidditch. Also, um, like I could hand wave the Quidditch away if it wasn't so so long yeah it's endless yeah it really is the the especially in this book the like commentary uh commentary thing is woof yeah i am looking forward to the quidditch scenes in the movie because they're gonna look great oh they are we're we're in for a treat yeah but we'll we'll get to that in our our movie episode um i guess i'll get to our my last of my general prompts before we get into the pottermore stuff and um it's that let's talk about 
What was the most surprising? Now, is this most surprising in terms of like a story moment or like what was just like most surprising about the book? I was going to I see it more as like, what were you most surprised by? But I that can probably be either one. Like, were you surprised okay, uh, yeah. by something that was different than you remember it or? Um, I was surprised that McGonagall was old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, no, I think for me it was uh, mainly how good a character arc Neville has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is the biggest one for me because um, I remembered so little about Neville other than that he was meant to be kind of like the wet blanket character. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the the only scenes I remembered about him were the remember all and the scene at the end where he tries to get them to stop going out at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out he has a lot more than that. And, and not only has a lot more is like, has a very distinct growth throughout the story. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think that was what surprised me the most. Yeah. I really liked the Neville stuff. Um, I, if you had asked me before we started reading this, I was going to say that, um, Neville being a big deal at the end of the book came out of nowhere is, mm-hmm. is what I would have said it still might end up seeming that way um and honestly like the end of the series yeah yeah like his whole you know he he would have been the hero and i think that he kills nagini at the end if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. um only because i always see the like screenshot of of like him from the movie because everyone likes to make those posts where it's like oh look neville got hot um but but yeah he had a character in this book i was surprised Yeah. yeah totally it was um it was cool. Like it was cool to see. Like he's much more well-rounded. I really feel for him. Um, and like, you know, there is the dramatic irony of like, you know, him him when he's trying to stop them, he is doing something wrong, but like he doesn't know that, you know, that's a matter of a Voldemort's tier matter at that point. Um, and I yeah, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what about you? I think that I was most surprised that Ron was my favorite character. Oh, I yeah. I think that he's I had a bad opinion of him after reading the entirety of the series um, that like I, I would say that my opinion of Ron was somewhere between him being completely unremarkable and like annoying at best in the story. Um, mm-hmm. But reading this, he was my favorite character. I think that his um, character arc was like the strongest of the trio Um I think his character moments were some of the most resonant with me. I think that his, the role he played in the mirror of Erised chapter was really touching that like, I, I think maybe my, my favorite, my favorite part uh, other than just saying the mirror of Erised chapter is when Harry is telling Ron about the mirror and about how his parents are in the mirror and Ron is excited to go see with him. Yeah. It's, it's the line. I'd love to, I'd love to meet your family or whatever it is like, that's his pure earnest immediate response it's it's so good he's a he's a really good friend in this like or like just seems like such a like a a good person for harry to be around in like a way that i wasn't i didn't remember yeah Uh, and and honestly relating back to neville having a story his ron um being the one to stand up for Neville and teach Neville that he should stand up for himself. And then it having, and then it was Ron that he stood up for. Ron is the one that calls him an idiot. Um, 
tells him, yeah. you know, don't wasn't telling you to stand up to us. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I think I think Ron just had kind of like the strongest moments in the book, and and maybe like you said, that's a problem with his character going forward because he, like this is it for him. Yeah, this is this is. Ron is very well-rounded and makes a big character decision in this book. And I don't remember if he ever really gets to do that again. Like, uh, I just know that he's a, he starts getting jealous of Harry in the fourth book. He gets jealous of Harry in the fifth book. He gets jealous of Harry in the seventh book. Like he storms off. He is like mean to Hermione in a weird way. I, like as soon as their like dating stuff starts popping up in mm-hmm. a way that I don't think that I'm going to like very much. Um, yeah. So I guess like I, I was surprised by how much I liked him and I'm sad if that doesn't continue. Um, just a little bit of an aside. Um, I will tell you this little nugget about fan fiction. One of the like biggest polarizing tropes of fan fiction is, is Ron bashing, right? Like, <laughs> It's like Ron oftentimes gets set up as an antagonist in stories. Huh. Um, and so so there are like two camps, right? There are people that really like the Ron bashing. A common feature is if like Harry's in a in a gay relationship, Ron will be homophobic. <laughs> uh, and so there's like two camps right it's like i i want to read it like a story about this but no ron bashing like that'll be like a tag like you'll put that in there to be like don't worry i don't this story huh. isn't horrible to ron huh. so that's that's so interesting i did not know that that was so contentious yeah he's a really not well-liked character um, huh i wonder how much of that just has to do with the movies too I yeah, mean, like, the movies destroy his character. He completely all, every um, like thing that he's there to do gets taken away and like given to someone else. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, there's like that great video that you linked me a while back. The uh, Harry Potter and the Death of Character, or I, I believe is what it's called. Something um, like that. It like, explains that like both Ron and Hermione get like crumpled down into really flat characters because. Hermione just becomes this like perfect, like the perfect woman basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to do that, they also give her all of Ron's character development. Like it's a really interesting video. It's it's some good analysis. If people want to go read that or go watch that, excuse me. Yeah, we should uh, link it when we do our movie, movie uh, talk. But um, yeah, so uh, poor Ron, but I really liked him in this book. Yeah, he was, I really liked him too. Shall we move on to some, official questions let's 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 get rid of this fake shit nobody wants (laughs) to hear nobody wants to hear uh these fandom questions we want to know from the source from jk herself what are the questions we should be asking about harry potter and the philosopher's stone yeah these are the official there they there are scheduled rereads on pottermore and uh i I think it's I, I mean I complain about this every time and I'm just gonna say that the website is horrible to navigate. Oh, it's so it bad. Is so awful. So you go to like this the like book club part and then you have to like scroll down and you have to open a menu for the book that you read and then there's a calendar and then you can click on the calendar and then you have to scroll down again to find questions that are embedded from Twitter and it's just a nightmare. It's um, so bad. <laughs> but I have some have some selected choice questions. Um that I think really get to the heart of the matter of the philosopher's stone. And just to be clear, this is 
just the philosopher's stone and I'm going to hit you with a big juicy one for the first, first question. Are you ready? You got it. You got it. Is rebellion a good or bad thing at Hogwarts? (laughs) Oh fuck. Like it's what, what are they talking about? Like what, what does this mean? Like, do they, (laughs) there are so many angles to attack this question from, and I'm not sure any of them are what they intended. Do they mean (laughs) is rebellion encouraged at Hogwarts? Because I would say, no, it's a school. Of course it's not. Do they mean uh, is rebelling <laughs> at Hogwarts good? Which, which case I would say yes, because that's what the main characters have to do. But I don't think that's a focus of the story. And also, from the book's own perspective, uh, the further we get in the series, the bigger a uh, like opinion the book is going to have, capital O opinion the book is going to have <laughs> about like rebellion and activism and so on. Like... What the fuck does this mean? Here's a question. Is it a rebellion if Dumbledore knew about it the whole time? Oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, he was the mastermind. He 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 architected the whole thing. So I guess it really isn't a rebellion. So really, he, he was did, just following the rules. Well, he did, um, he did uh, go answer an owl randomly. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the rebellion. Is Dumbledore rebelling against his own plan? I don't even know what this question is at. Like, I don't know what they intended by this question. Like, they, they break rules in the book, right? Like, they go out, yeah. you know, um, I guess you could say, like, it is good that Harry helped Hagrid with his Norbert problem in, you know, the greatest chapter in the book because <laughs> he's likes Hagrid, I guess. Yeah. I is rebellion good at Hogwarts. Like it's the at Hogwarts part. Like like you know, <laughs> is do they mean like in a broader philosophical sense does the book make the case that rebellion is good? In which case I would say eh, yeah, sure. There's a there's some good stuff in this book about like weighing the difference between what is a rule and what is morally right. You know, like the book does get into that because uh, those are not always the same thing. The law is not always moral. Um, so in that sense, sure, yes, rebellion is good at Hogwarts. Except it's the at Hogwarts part that makes sense because it's like, <laughs> to, like who, from whose perspective? What are you talking about? Like, I mean, I guess Dumbledore did give them a fuckload of house points at the end for rebelling so yes i guess in a material sense but also no i don't what what do you think (laughs) your take on this one um i have almost no take about this i don't even i don't even understand this question i don't know what it's like this is this is i don't understand the prompt like i don't is rebellion (laughs) a good or bad thing at hogwarts um i guess like (laughs) Uh, like good bad i'm yes, the one with the wand because if if you if they didn't if they didn't rebel then voldemort was going to be super rich and live forever and flatten the school as harry said flatten the school turn it into a school for dark arts like yeah. i just i just would say that that's probably like that's pretty explicit in the text yeah yep yeah that's a that's a weird one yeah Don't- um yeah, we knocked that one out of the park, so I'm going to go on to the next one. And this one's for you. Okay. Is the wizarding world as secretive as it likes to believe? <sighs> if only we would, if only we could possibly know because it makes no sense. Here's what I think. I think that they are as, like exactly as secretive as they believe because they orchestrate all of it. And yeah. I... Yes. But like, to function as it does in the book, they have to be, right? Yes. Like, there's no, 
if it wasn't as secretive as as they thought, then the story would be completely different, right? Like, yeah, I, I guess I guess I um I am having a hard time thinking about this just in the context of the philosopher's stone because I just like know that the ministry does like mass. Uh, like obliviates and they can know when someone is casting a spell at all times. If they're underage like that, it seems like they've got a lock on it. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's the stuff about like, there's so there are a few things in the book that are peppered throughout that are like, Oh, Merlin was a real wizard, which has some interesting implications on like the legend of King Arthur. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff like that. That's really cute. It's like, Oh, maybe they're, you know, maybe muggles have like half the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the story never really gets into that stuff. So, like, the wizarding world seems like it's exactly as secretive as it thinks it is because, like you said, they they have a government built around it and like tools to police it and stuff. So I I don't I don't think there's ever a point where it's like like at no point does a muggle character get to say yeah we fucking know like like of course you just think that you're a secret <laughs> or whatever like that would be an interesting story does not happen in this series right um i, I cannot think of a question less relevant to this story either yeah, like this doesn't like it's not like they're crossing back and forth between worlds a lot the book is pretty clearly one half muggle world one half wizard world right like yeah at no point are they crossing over and like uh interacting with each other really apart from like Hagrid not knowing what the coins mean when he's buying a hamburger like that's yeah it never comes up here really I I guess the most is like the um the first chapter where all the wizards are celebrating because Voldemort died and um they're out in their robes Mm -hmm. but it's like a big special occasion right like yeah and we, we know from the extended universe that uh, there was like a pardon, right? Like, like they com- they all committed the the pants crime of being in robes in front of muggles, but the the government decided to uh, give them all pardons because it was a big big day. But but also like we see this scene through the perspective of Vernon, who doesn't know anything. Like he knows more than the average because his wife has a witch as a sister or had right like he knows they exist but he doesn't know anything about it right so so we probably are seeing this through the perspective of a character who has more context about what's going on and doesn't and also explicitly doesn't know anything so yeah i would say that wizards are exactly as secretive as they think they are (laughs) yeah and also like again the the fact that they have a get out of jail free card that they can pull if a muggle sees them or whatever in the form of like the memory charms is just like kind of renders this question moot i think like can i can i spoil the end of the fantastic beasts movie for you please do one yes sure so at the end of the fantastic beasts movie the whole third act because it's a movie that came out in you know 2010s the entire last third act is just a big fucking action sequence right oh i can't wait so this whole city gets like destroyed and like because there was a big wizard fight then at the end um they magically rebuild the city by all waving their wands and stuff and like re rebuild the city the way that like dumbledore rebuilds slughorn's house Mm -hmm. um and then they shoot 
obliviate into a rain cloud and then it rains and everyone in New York, I guess, was outside. Oh, uh, that's <laughs> you know, um, and so they all get rained on and they forget. And that's that. And that's why you never heard anything about wizards in New York. Oh, well, I guess that worked. So like you say, the wizarding world knows exactly how secretive it is. <laughs> um, I didn't know that Obliviate worked that way. Yeah, you shoot it into a rain cloud. I think that's what it is. It, I mean, they, they shoot something into a rain cloud that then f- rains on everyone and then they all forget. Okay, well, we answered that question factually. <laughs> we've, we've solved this book club question. With, with the text. Yes. Come at me. <laughs> okay, so this next one is a little bit more of a, um, we're going to um, meditate on a character here. All right. What makes Hagrid so trustworthy? <laughs> oh, so stupid. He's not. <laughs> Hagrid is not trustworthy at all. What are they talking about? Uh, that That's what, you know, that trustworthy Hagrid, that's what they call him. So like if the, if the last two words of this question were to Harry, it might make sense. Because the answer there is like Hagrid revealed his true nature to him and like took him away from his horrible home life. That is why Harry trusts Hagrid. (laughs) Harry is not particularly smart to trust Hagrid because Hagrid fucks up every chapter in this. Hagrid tells them every, like every piece of like information that about the mystery that they find out, they find out by going to Hagrid and he accidentally tells them. Hagrid tells Voldemort how to get past his challenge. Yeah. Hagrid Hagrid (laughs) tells Voldemort how to, how to get past uh, the, the dog. He, uh ha- he gets a baby dragon and nearly gets children killed because of it like he's not trustworthy at all he's nice he's sympathetic yeah. he's not trustworthy he's not sympathetic during the norbert chapters but yes no, i think overall true. he's a sympathetic character um yeah I-, I think this is such a weird question because he's not trustworthy he's the least trustworthy person in the book except for maybe Voldemort, I guess. Um, and Quirrell, obviously. Um, but that's what, like, he can be a good character and a likable character and just not be trustworthy. Like that's okay. Yeah. I like Hagrid. Just like he's not, I would not trust him with, with much, you know, like he, he would, he, I would not trust him with like, like if I had, if I was at Hogwarts, you know, I, and, and I had a secret that I really needed to tell someone to get off my chest. <laughs> I, would, I would not go to Hagrid. Right. Like this he is would, like character shit right like it's like hagrid's strength is you know i mean what is his strength he's like loyalty to his friends he he cares he genuinely cares about harry yeah his weakness is that he's not trustworthy he's impulsive yes hagrid is impulsive he he has a loose tongue and he's a he's a rule breaker like consistently um he has no respect for uh like order which you know that's not necessarily inherently a like bad trait but it is a trait he has yes yeah it, it moves the plot forward exactly um, um so yeah like what, what are they fucking talking about he's not <laughs> the most trustworthy character in any sense i reject the question is is my response to that yeah we do, we do reject this question it's uh, <laughs> um it is such a uh, Like, is this the movie? Because he's he's trustworthy. I mean, he's not trustworthy in the movie because he does the same things because the plot has to move forward. Um, But I just I I don't understand how 
how they would get to this question in the first place. Maybe because the movie, like Robbie Coltrane, it's a great performance, but it's Uh definitely more paternal, I think, than the book portrays him as. Yeah. To me, in the books, and I don't mean this in the sense that like the way I did in the first chapter where I was a little worried about Haggard, where I was like, is this just going to be a weird of mice and men thing? But like Haggard feels like one of their peers. Hagrid feels like a peer or like the only adult character that the kids can talk to that understands them at their level, you know, mm-hmm. um, like he is the trustworthy adult to them or or he is the um, the adult that is easiest to talk to. And maybe they think he's trustworthy, or, but I don't think they do because they are like they are also always getting him out of jams and like getting exasperated with him and so i think it's less that he's trustworthy and more that he's just relatable to them yeah although i will say that it's it's quite weird because they at various points manipulate and trick him that's true because there's that bizarre part where hermione like tricks him by flattering him yeah hermione butters him up to get him to tell them about was it that fluffy or the it was about some one one of the the kind of mm, plot points that she needs to find information from him she does this weird thing where she's like oh you're just you know so good at being the gamekeeper and and he or that scene is super uncomfortable in a way because it's totally the like femme fatale like thing just with an 11 year old saying that someone's like so good at yeah it's really weird have three heads you know like it's it's totally like the femme fatale like like stroking the main character's chin and calling him a big boy or whatever just a little more removed so it's a little weird <laughs> yeah um I, like as i guess it is an aside i feel like there were a few um moments that i didn't really like that hermione had i like that moment was super weird i think but that was a weirdness that was in the overall weirdness because i think that was in the norbert chapter where i felt like hagrid became like took on this weird role of a child whereas they were kind of like authoritative over him and having her Mm -hmm. have this strange like uh, classically like uh, like feminine manipulation moment I didn't like Um, and then I also I also felt like as soon as she became friends with them um, she became like a little bit more maternal than I really liked um i'm not saying that it's bad for a character to be maternal i just as a kid like hermione was my favorite character and it was just it just kind of sucked like how much she was like a nag i guess like consistently um and i i think that there's a way to do that in a way where it's like yeah she cared about the rules and she cares about exceeding and um and getting like points for the house in a way that doesn't have to be so classically like she's a like nurturing woman character. I feel like, would, I, feel like I wouldn't even raise an eyebrow at it at all if there was another major girl, you know? Like yeah. if, if if there was another girl who didn't have those traits and these were just the traits that were because you know, it's not like you said, it's not like inherently wrong for for a character to be maternal and a nag and uh um like you know the wisest smartest one like that's fine it's just that there's no like it, like you know this is skipping ahead a book but there is the whole thing about how uh a uh a girl was cut who was going to be like 
you know, a first year who was like kind of like a foil for Hermione, um, mm-hmm. which I feel like she would have really benefited from. Um, and we don't get that. Instead, we just get her kind of being like the smartest and most protective of the group constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's too bad that that character didn't end up being in the books because that would have been really neat. And, um, and like, again, I'm like, I am okay with this like representation of a girl. Um, and I'm especially sympathetic to, I guess, JK Rowling in this circumstance, because I know that she identified with Hermione and identified with what that's like to be a, like a, a kid and a girl that like kind of has to be the grown up. Um, mm-hmm. but it just, it just does make me a little bit sad to see. So I, I guess I'll, I, I will present that overall as neutral. Um, but I don't, I don't know how I started on that tangent. I guess we were talking about what makes Hagrid so trustworthy. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is our wrap up. We, we yeah. can, our answer to that one is Hagrid is not trustworthy. Not at all. He's great. Yes, he is great. Um, but I do have a final question. What are Draco and Harry's similarities? What are their differences? This is such a stunning literary critique. Uh, you couldn't just ask, what is a foil? In, <laughs> you know, like You just have to, to really get in there and, and book report this thing. Um, their similarities are they are both assholes, kind of. Like, ruthless. They're both ruthless. They're both jerks. Um, and like they're both rich. That's kind of an, uh, that's kind of a thing that I always forget. But like you're reading this is like, Oh, they're both rich now. Like, uh, Harry Potter is a rich kid. Um, you know, he may have just fallen into it recently, but like, doesn't change the fact that that is who he is now. Um, and they're both very, uh, I don't know, hot headed and ambitious. Uh, their differences. Well, Draco is racist and I don't think Harry has said anything about race yet. So it's not that going for him. Um, and, uh, and I guess like, like for my, my corny real answer here is like Harry uh, clearly has a more genuine view of what friendship is that develops over the books mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to Draco who clearly wants to collect Harry as a like famous friend at the beginning of the book. Um mm-hmm. He, like use him as like a trophy like he wants to be friends with him because that would be cool to be friends with harry potter because he's famous uh and that's kind of like draco's like opening salvo uh when they're introduced <laughs> but yeah draco is an interesting character in this book because um he's like the main antagonist of the story of this like the school story that isn't Voldemort, right? Like, mm-hmm. like he he's the he's the Slytherin, and the Slytherins are going to win the House Cup. And he is uh, the most Slytherin. He's the most Slytherin of the bunch, and um, he's he's not a very nuanced character in this book. I, I know that he. I, I'm having a hard time answering this question in the context of just this book because it's a like. Like, I guess, yeah, the, the real answer is like they're they're both rich and they are both the kind of like, um, like Harry's the most Gryffindor of the Gryffindors and Draco's the most Slytherin of the Slytherins. And they're both um, the ringleaders of their like trio of friends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but Draco is also just like a hilarious cartoon yeah, character. He is, a, he, he is a, he just like walks around 
saying the most absurd racist and classist <laughs> stuff and that's like all he does uh in which you know again not a problem like it, no. it, it manifests into some great scenes like the the remember all scene in the book i love um where, you know where he steals it and they have the broom fight like that that, that works really well um you know he provides someone to harry for harry to play off of and develop against but he is very one-dimensional here yeah, I like that um, his like the defeat of Draco, the antagonist um, being the like Slytherin is at the as at the feast in the, you know, Dumbledore explains, explains the character arcs to us. Uh-huh. Yeah, he kind of like goes away after the Norbert chapter, like he's there in the Forbidden Forest, but he doesn't really do anything. Uh, no, he, he doesn't have anything. It's it's like a weird uh, contrived point that he's even there yeah to do nothing other than maybe antagonize neville more but we don't really see yeah. that i don't think no that just happens off screen that's what causes the sparks that's what, like okay draco is in the forest scene specifically to get harry away from the main group uh yes. and hagrid except that if that was what was needed why didn't why couldn't harry have gone with neville in the first place yeah. Yeah, because Neville like, easily could have been shown running away because I think that's what Draco does, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe we don't want to see a scene where Neville is cowardly, but because he is a Gryffindor. But I don't blame him, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> they're it's, the forest. They're, they're there to, to shoot a unicorn in the damn head. Like, it's... I would definitely run. Yeah. But yeah, I... I think that this is one of those things that like, this is a question that would be interesting at the end of book seven and not really at the end of book one, because the answer is Harry is three dimensional and hair and uh, Draco is one dimensional at this point. Like, and that's not, that's not a knock against the book. That's not a knock against Draco. It's just that like at this point in the series, Draco exists for Harry to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, he's there to tell us something about Harry. Exactly. But nothing about him. Yeah. He is not, he is not a, a, fully like rendered character unto himself at this point that comes mm-hmm. later yeah i'm sure that will be all excellent well is that it for your questions i think so i think we did our we did the official pottermore book club we've done the, the official pottermore book club thank you jk for those lovely questions i have one more question for you oh okay uh this is a genuine one okay. um, <laughs> we've, we've, we've we've finished we've finished the first book uh-huh. Uh, what are you looking forward to apprehensive about thinking about going into Chamber of Secrets? I am so excited for Dobby. Hell that yeah. is that is my main. I am just like, I can't wait. I am. I'm so ready for Dobby in Chamber of Secrets. It's he. it's going to be a roller coaster ride. I I am going to be playing the Dobby Pussy Indulgence song every time <laughs> he comes up. He's, he comes up a lot, right? Like he's a major character. He's there a lot. I have uh, no clue. And and what I want to know is because this is going to be our first introduction to the house elves. And I want to know if there are any clues that there are more at Hogwarts or if this oh, is that's just right. like a one-off like character. Like, yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing that there's going to be no clues. Yeah, I don't think so because Chamber of Secrets is the one that everyone says is like the allegory for racism 
And I think that if they had revealed the house elf slavery problem at Hogwarts, then it would be a completely different book. And I don't Ouch. think, yeah, I, uh, I don't think, I don't think that gets brought up. I think that's a book four thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I guess my, I'm like apprehensive that this book is going to be um, the philosopher's stone, but longer. Mm hmm. I think this was just a, like the perfect length. And if this is um, like a more refined, like people say, like this is a more refined philosopher's stone, like it's just like a little bit better. So if it's just more of the same, but a little bit longer. Ugh. Yeah, Liz, I have uh, some bad news for you. These books do not get shorter. What? They don't? <laughs> sorry no no mm, don't think so I think these okay books... that's fine i've i you know i heard a rumor that they get a little bit longer <laughs> but i also heard a rumor that they get worse and so and so i'm like i'm i'm totally signed on for really long very bad books um but what i'm what i'm not looking forward to is book two just philosopher's stone again yeah longer yeah no yes i and i i i that is what i've heard that it is it is essentially like the refined version of of philosopher's stone so but it does have dobby so you know Just can't wait for dobby is our how saving bad, grace how bad can it be dobby is our guardian angel i can't wait <laughs> he's also harry's guardian angel he is quite literally harry's guardian angel um Oh, Dobby! I can't wait for getting to Dobby content. You're you're right. That is, I don't even have a an answer other than Dobby. Dobby is what I'm. Dobby is what I crave. Yeah, um, I, I'm looking <laughs> forward to. I mean, we're going to encounter a Horcrux in the diary. So, oh uh, yeah, just, there's going to be some. Is was this planned or not? Just some clues being laid for us. Um, Moaning Myrtle, who's I think a lot less creepy in the book than she is in the movie. Hmm. Although she doesn't get creepy until way later in the movies. It's book four, I think, where she's like creeping on Harry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess actually now that I think about it, this is our um, like first real interaction that we're going to have with Ginny. Um, oh, that's true. That's going to be a big one. So I am interested in that. I feel like I remember her just being like really shy and like scared to talk to Harry, but maybe has a crush on him. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that, if that's any good. Mm -hmm. Well, all that and more awaits us. But first, we're going to be watching the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie. Um, and uh, looking forward to that, sort of. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, maybe talking about some of the, like the like the stuff surrounding it, the games and the, the, the cultural phenomenon in general. So that'll be our next episode. Um, if you would be so kind listeners is to give us an, a review on iTunes. That is a, always a big help for us. Uh, our theme song is hot McGonagall, uh, by Cheshire moon. Uh, check them out. It is, it's a great song. Um, and, um, do you have anything else to add? Liz? Um, I don't think so. I think that's our housekeeping for this week. Um, 
I guess since we're doing the movie episode uh, next week, we have some uh, blessed time uh, between now and Chamber of Secrets to read another book. Please read another book. Because the wizard world has opened up as has the Griffin's dream. That's right, cause you'll find all shapes and sizes If you go into the dream But there's a lady there Makes ocean raw seem tame Better know what you're after If you catch her eye Cause this hot mama Is just a cat in disguise